Well, welcome again to Bentonville Community Church. As Pastor Aaron said, um, it is a heavy day in a lot of ways. I know you have uh, been following the world events as I have, um, but let's just continue to lift up our brothers and sisters in this part of the world and ask for God's peace to reign. We know this is what God wants. I invite you to get your Bibles, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John today. We're going to be in John 20, which is towards the end of the book, and then we're going to be in John 1, which is the beginning, but we're going to go backwards today. Uh, and you can, you can find this uh, teaching in the Bible app. If you have that on your phone, you can pull the Bible app up, click on events, uh, and you can follow along there if, if you'd like to. Today we're finishing the sermon series called Organic Disciples. And in this series, we've been looking at practices that form and shape us to be like Jesus. We started by looking at passionate worship, this idea that it's not about me, it's about God. We looked at spiritual growth, the disciplines of reading the Bible and prayer, understanding that God has work to do in us. Last week, we looked at life groups and this idea that we really do need each other. We need to be in community with one another. Each one of these practices are are there in the Bible and they teach us to live in a certain way. And here's what I believe about, about this, is that if, if we will engage in these practices and allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to do these things in our life, then organically and naturally, we're going to become people that attract others to Jesus. Just the, the, the testimony of our life, as we live this way, it's going to reflect God's love to the world, and the world's going to be drawn to that. It's been several years ago, uh, we... we we're kind of late to the iPad game, and we finally got an iPad for Christmas one year. And um, it wasn't too long after getting this little device in our home that I discovered that, that it was really great at keeping young children occupied. And so I had a, probably a three-year-old and a six-year-old in the house at the time, and I discovered we could download games, and that would keep them occupied, and I could go on about my work and I just discovered it was, it was the cheapest babysitter I could, I could buy um, in some ways. So uh, Paul comes to me one day and he says, hey, I want to download this app. And my first question is not, is it appropriate? That should have been my first question. Unfortunately, my first question was, well, is it free? Yeah, Dad, it's a free app. Okay, well, let me take a look at it. Now let's look at if it's appropriate or not. But the app was called Goat Simulator. It was, a, it was a game that you could play on your iPad, and it was literally what it sounds like. The, the point of the game is that you are a goat, and there's this world that's built, and there's a pasture, and you take your goat uh, avatar, and you move your goat around the pasture, and you eat grass, and then after a while, you eat so much grass that you poop the grass out, and then you go into town, and there's village people in town. And, and, and what it appeared to me is like the highlight of the game is when you have the opportunity to like headbutt a villager as the goat, and the villager falls over, and, and everybody thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but we downloaded this game, and for probably more time than they should have, my boys would navigate their goat around the village and they'd navigate their goat around the countryside, and they'd eat a little bit, and they'd poop a little bit, and they'd, 
knock villagers over. And uh, that was just sort of the point of the game. And I thought, man, games have really changed from when I first got a Nintendo Entertainment System. Not a Super Nintendo, mind you. Now, some people in the room remember that Christmas when you got your Nintendo and you held a cartridge in your hand and it was Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And you put, I hear you, man. I'm tapping, I, I, man, these are good memories. And you put that magic cartridge into the Nintendo and you were Mario. And what I remember is you, you had a goal. You had an objective. There was a castle to get to. There was a princess to save. There was Bowser to defeat. You were moving forward towards a, an objective. And in fact, in those early days, I know this is going to blow your mind for some of the gamers in, in here, you actually couldn't go backwards. You were prevented from going backwards. But guess what? Super Mario Brothers 2 came out, and you could make Mario go forward and, wait for it, he could go backwards too. It was, it was, it was amazing, okay? It was amazing. But you had a goal. There was a reason why you were in the game. You were trying to save the princess. You were trying to defeat Bowser. You weren't some goat wandering around the pasture, eating grass and knocking over villagers. I watched my kids do that for like an hour, and they're like, okay, cool. And then they were on to something else. And I'm like, you didn't do anything. You just, you just ate virtual grass and pooped virtual poop. That's like all you did. And I tell you that to say, too many Christians are living without purpose. Too many Christians are living unaware of the mission that they have. Friend, we have the opportunity to engage in the mission of God through our relationships. Each one of us are connected to a network of relationships, your friends, your family, your co-workers. And in this network of relationships, you can impact that group of people for Christ in the way that you live, in the way that you talk, in the decisions you make, in the actions that you, uh, that you do. Your life can proclaim good news every day. We're called to relational impact. We're called to be on mission with Jesus. So in the Gospel of John, after Jesus is resurrected, the first meeting he has with his disciples, he commissions them, and he lets them know that this resurrection has changed everything, and now because of his resurrection, they have the opportunity to be on mission with, with Jesus. And so I want to take you there. John 20, Verse 19, we read this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Friends, I could literally preach this passage every Sunday for a year. There's so much here. But I want to just pull out this one part of what Jesus is doing here. He says to his disciples, 
as the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. Jesus is now sending the disciples, the resurrected Christ. He's breathing the Holy Spirit upon them, and he's saying, you have resurrection power. You have the Holy Spirit in your life. For three years now, you've been with me. You've seen the kinds of things I've done. You've seen what it looks like to live in perfect relationship with the Father. Now through the resurrection, you can live in that relationship, and I'm sending you out on mission to do the things that I have been doing. My mission from the Father is now your mission from the Father as well. And so we're invited to go out, and we are invited to share what God has done in us with other people. Now, there's actually a term for this. It's called evangelism. And it's a little bit of a sticky word because for some of us in the room, it's going to conjure up all kinds of images that make us uncomfortable. For so long, we understood this term one-dimensionally. We understood this term as the, the practice of knocking on someone's door, probably a complete stranger, and leading the conversation with this, Hi, my name is, I'm from this church. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven or hell? And we were literally teaching people to start conversations with total strangers this way. And so maybe you've been a part of that. I was a part of that. And there's a part of me that says, you know, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better way than that. And actually, maybe evangelism is so much more than that. Maybe this call to share good news is so much more than inviting a total stranger to make some kind of uh, assertion of, of faith, someone you have no relational connection to. In fact, maybe it's more holistic. In fact, it is. We need to understand evangelism in terms of the network of relationships that we have. They are given to us to steward. They are given to us as a gift from God. And, and as this gift from God, this, this network of our friends and our family and our coworkers, in the middle of that, we have the opportunity to point people to Jesus. And this is the most significant thing you can do with your life. In these, this, the brief amount of time you have here on planet Earth, the most significant thing you can do is point people to Jesus. You see, too many of us are, you know, wandering around the pasture like the goat simulator, without purpose, without mission. And I want to tell you from someone who's done my fair share of funerals. I've been with people in the midst of, of this season in which you try to encapsulate the totality of somebody's life in a one-hour service. And, and that, that process usually goes one or, or two ways. There are people in the world that have spent their life building a resume, now, they weren't the goat out there on the pasture. I mean, they had a purpose. They had a mission. They were going to build this resume. They were going to build companies. They were going to succeed. And they had all these things on paper that said they made their life count. But so often in those settings, the things that are on the resume, when trying to bring meaning and purpose to the life of the person that is lying there before us in a casket, it falls so flat. It, it, it's almost as if the things on the resume don't have near the significance that they ought to as we think about saying goodbye to this loved one. So that's how that goes in, in one sense. So some people spend their life building a resume, 
But there are other people always connected to the local church, always connected to the Lord, who built a legacy. They understood their life. They understood the breath that was in their lungs. They understood this opportunity that they were given as a way, as an opportunity, as a platform. Their life was a platform to point people to Jesus. They were pointing people to someone greater than themselves. They were pointing someone to a purpose greater than themselves. All of those things on the resume will ultimately pass away. But those who have spent their life building a legacy are pointing people to that which will never pass away. They had relational impact. They pointed to Jesus every day in their lives. And so how do we do that? What does evangelism look like today? What what does it look like to live in such a way that that we have impact in the relationships uh, that we have in our lives? And I, and I would say this, I think it boils down to this. Our mission to make our life count, to build a legacy that points people to Jesus, it looks like this. We invite new friends to belong before they believe so that together we might become God's people. I want you to key in on those three words that start with a B. We belong, we believe, and then we become. You know, sometimes we've gotten that order flipped around. If you want to be part of this group, if you want to be part of this church, you have to become something. you got to say the right things, act a certain way, dress a certain way. So we want to make sure you're becoming something, and then we'll give you the chance to believe. And once you become and once you believe, then and only then you belong. There's a lot of problems with that, but the number one problem with that is Jesus didn't operate that way. I want to take you to John 1. Let's see how Jesus operated. Let's see how Jesus invited people to belong before anything else. So let's look at John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. So when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How did you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. But Nathanael, you're going to see greater things than that. He said, very truly, I tell you, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want us to look at Philip in this story. Philip has a few speaking roles in the Gospels, but this is his big moment. Not a major character in the story of Jesus, but but if you put them all together, 
it's pretty clear that John 1 is his big moment. Philip was called by Jesus. He was called along with Andrew and Peter. They were all from the same town. And we see Jesus calling lots of people in the Gospels. We see entire lists in the Gospels of people that Jesus called. But Philip is the only one who called someone else who became one of the disciples of Jesus. All the, the disciples were Jesus, of Jesus were called by Jesus, except Nathaniel. He was called by Philip. Philip is the one that extended the invitation. Philip is the one that said, hey, you need to see what is going on with this Jewish rabbi from, well, they were all Jews, <laughs> with this rabbi from Nazareth. You need to see what's going on with this guy from Nazareth. And, you know, Nathaniel doesn't have a lot of speaking lines either. This is his big moment. And you sort of get an insight into the kind of person Nathaniel was. You know, he, he immediately kind of puts up his defenses. He's, a, he's immediately skeptical. I mean, Philip, are you telling me that from this dumpy little town known as Nazareth, you think this guy's the Messiah? You think this guy is worth leaving your business and following you're going to tell Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently, Nazareth didn't have a great reputation. Apparently, it was the other side of Galilee. Apparently, it, it was the place that, that people didn't want to live. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's a little insult that the opposition to the church throw around. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The church is doing some stuff here and there. It's those, those people, the, the, the Nazarenes, the followers of the Nazarene. They throw it around like an insult. Like, can you believe that this little upstart religion with a rabbi who's from Nazareth is threatening the Jewish establishment? And so you see this tension between the, the Jews in the book of Acts and, and the people who are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. So it's kind of an insult. Nothing, nothing good happens in Nazareth. But there's something else about Nathaniel. Is it just me, or does he sound like not a very life-giving person? You know, he's like hanging out by the fig tree. I don't know if he has a job or anything, but he's just kind of hanging out under the fig tree, hating on everybody. <laughs> Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Philip goes out of his way to invite him to come see something that's going on, and he's, you know, mostly disinterested. He'd probably rather sit there and hang out under the fig tree all day. Just doesn't seem like a very life-giving person. He's what you would call an extra grace required kind of person. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Do you have anybody like that in your family? Don't raise your hand. I mean, there are people in our life, that are, they're just not life-giving. It's a chore to be around them. Some of us are just nice, and so we make the effort to, you know, sort of be around them. Some of us just feel like we don't want to disappoint our mama, so we'll be nice to them, you know. For whatever reason, have these people in our lives. And, and I wonder what the conversation with Andrew and, and, and Peter was like. I mean, can you imagine Philip saying, hey, guys, I love what is happening here with Jesus you know who would really be into this? Nathaniel. I think Nathaniel would really be into this. And I can just see like Andrew and Peter being like, dude, are you serious? Like Nathaniel? 
Like all he does is hang out by the fig tree all day. All he does is hate on people that are walking by. Like this thing is, I like what's happening here with Jesus. I like the stuff that we're able to hear about and learn about. Do not bring him into this. This is for us. This is not for him. I can see that happening. But Philip goes out of his way. Philip goes out of his way and doesn't give up on Nathaniel and invites him simply to come and see. And so you see what's happening here? The first movement to Nathaniel was what? Hey, brother, you belong. You belong. God's doing something here. We found something here that has, has changed our lives, and we want you to belong as well. He has this encounter with Jesus. Even though Jesus didn't choose him, Jesus knew him, and Jesus welcomed him. And as Jesus welcomes him, he, re- he reveals that he saw him sitting under the fig tree. And, and, and there's something happening here. You, you sort of have to read between the lines. This is sort of the way John writes. But Jesus establishes that he knows Nathaniel. He knows his story. I saw you under the fig tree. I know why you sit under the fig tree. I know you've been hurt. I know the reason you're not a life-giving person is because of the pain in your life. I know what that fig tree represents for you. I know it's a place where, where, you, where you go and, and, and you're sad sometimes or you're upset or you're disgruntled and you don't know what to do. And so you go to the fig tree and you stay there. So Jesus says, I know you. I saw you. I see your story. I see your pain. I see what you are going through. And this amazing thing happens. It happens every time Jesus gets in close proximity with people. They realize that they are known. And this great need of our souls to know and to be known, it starts to happen. For the first time, someone actually gets Philip's pain or Nathaniel's pain. They they get what he's going through, and he moves from skeptic to believer. He begins to embrace what Jesus is, is talking about, and he believes. He says, Rabbi, you are. You are the Holy One of Israel. He confesses, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. Belief, however, was preceded by what? The invitation to belong. Nathaniel, you belong. You're welcomed here. Nathaniel, you're known here. And he makes a confession of belief. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on to say this, and and we're going to have to unpack this a little bit. He says, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You believe because you felt known. But Nathaniel, you will see greater things than that. Very truly, I tell you, you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is Jesus saying there? Every Jew hearing this story, all the people present knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was taking them back to the book of Genesis where the patriarch Jacob, he has this encounter with the Lord and he looks and he sees this vision and there's a ladder and it's coming from heaven and it's down to where he's at and there's angels going up and down the ladder. And so what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, this person who's been excluded all of his life, that's never been fully known by anyone, whose pain has never been properly recognized, 
He says to Nathanael, you are going to be connected to God in ways you have never been connected before. Think about how connected Jacob was in that moment, that God would give him this vision that would allow him to see heaven in that way and to show him these angels going up and down this ladder, connecting earth to heaven. And so Jesus is saying to Nathanael, oh, you're going to be connected to God like you never have before. And and your journey doesn't end with you simply believing. As you are connected to God in this way, you are going to become more than you could ever be on your own. You're going to be connected to God. He was inviting Nathaniel to be a part of something so much greater than himself, so much bigger than himself. He was inviting Nathaniel to become to change from the person that he is, disgruntled and upset by the fig tree, to become a person connected to God and engaged in God's mission, to live a life with purpose and meaning. And so, this is the journey that Nathaniel was on, from belonging to believing to becoming You know, the original invitation of Philip was, hey, come and see, come and see. And Nathanael did, but the journey doesn't end there. Eventually, Jesus would look at Nathanael, Philip, Andrew, Peter, all of the disciples. He would look at all of them and he would say, come and die. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Come be a part of what God is doing to redeem and to save the world. So where do we fit in all of this? We are Philip. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're you're called to be Philip. You're called to go to those sitting under the fig trees of life. You're called to, to go to those who are disgruntled and disillusioned and those that have been rejected. You're called to go to them and say, hey, come and see. Come see what's going on. Come see how my life was changed and how your life can be changed as well. We are the church. This is our mission. We're called to relational impact. And friend, as I I read the Bible, as I read what God is doing in the book of Acts and through the early church, there's one plan for this mission. He says to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so now I sent you. And so they went through the power of the Holy Spirit and they became the church. They became the people of God. And the church is imperfect, it's cumbersome, sometimes it's annoying. We have our warts and our flaws and our problems. But friend, there is this, until God reveals to us some other way, we are plan A, the church, the local church, the people gathered worshiping God, filled with his Holy Spirit. It is through the church that God shares this good news with the world. So the primary means that God uses to pursue those far from him is the local church. This is our mission. We're called to relational impact. And I pray that we would be a people that invite people to belong, that we, that we live with, with open arms, ready to receive, ready to invite people to be a part of what God is doing here It's been several years ago now, but the community center in Bentonville was relatively new. 
And Lauren and I decided to join it, and so we joined as a family, and, you know, there's all the amenities there at the community center. The kids could swim, and we could take workout classes, and there's treadmills and weights, and it's just great. So we joined, and we were making use of this, and it was near Christmas time, and Lauren wanted to take a, a class, and so, so I went with her, and, and she was taking this fitness class, and I decided, you know, I'm, it's not going to do me any good to you know, sit around here by the, by the uh, Coke machine and not do something. I need to do something. And so uh, there's a, there was a pickup game of basketball. I sort of, I sort of came hoping that there would be a pickup game of basketball, and sure enough, there was. And it was crowded that night. But every evening at the community center, uh, back before the world ended, back before COVID, uh, there used to be a pickup game of basketball. And, and so there was, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 guys out there waiting to play basketball. And, of course, you know, uh, you can only have 10 on the court at one, one time. And so about 10 of us were waiting, and, and I kind of paired up with some, some guys, and we formed a team, and, and we were going to be next. And uh, the rule of the court is the winner stays, you know. And so, uh, you know, as long as you win, you can keep playing. And the five that were, uh, were out there doing most of the winning, I think they had gotten there pretty early. And uh, I think they had sort of gotten their team together beforehand. They had planned to go to the community center and, and, and stay for a while. And uh, so they were pretty good. It was going to take a good team to, to, to beat them. Um, but my team, we felt like we could make some noise out there. We felt like we'd be okay. And uh, so it came our turn, and, and we got on the court, and... Uh, Man, one, one guy on our team, he was a pretty good basketball player. Uh, but, yeah, I think he was convinced that, that he could beat this team on his own. Uh, I think he was convinced that, that he was LeBron James. And, and so every time the ball went to him, you know, it just never came back. We have, we have terms for people like that in, in pickup basketball. They're the black hole of the court. You know, stuff goes in, but, but it, never, it never comes back. So the game's going, and it's not going well for us, and LeBron James is out there, and he's trying to do all the scoring, and he's trying to, do, you know, to, any time he gets the ball, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's you know, trying to, trying to make a basket and not doing a whole lot of passing. But then some of the other people would get a ball, and, and it's amazing how selfishness is kind of contagious like that. You know, they decide they didn't want to pass the ball either. You know, throughout the course of that game, uh, I don't ever remember receiving a pass. <laughs> it was really disheartening. Uh, I begin to think, like, is there an additional fee that you have to pay? Like, if you want to get the ball passed to you, then that's the plus membership. Like, this is the base membership, but at pickup basketball, if you want to receive the ball, then you pay, like, the plus. I don't know. But apparently there was a list of people who, who could receive the ball, and I was not on that list. And, of course, we lost. Uh, LeBron just wasn't as good as he thought he was, and um, I kept thinking, man, if they'd have passed me the ball, we'd have probably only lost by three or four. But I really was a little disheartened, and as I'm walking out of there, like, I passed a mirror. You know, fitness centers have mirrors everywhere because everybody wants to flex all the time. And I passed a mirror, and it was sort of one of those existential moments where I noticed, like, one of these things is not like the other. Like, 
these guys are all in their 20s. And at the time, I had just turned 40. And I have this gray stuff in my hair. And I wondered, man, is does this get you off the list? Like, if you look like this, are you now on the no-pass list? Um, I wondered. It was sort of unsettling. I didn't like it. But it was clear that I didn't belong. It was clear I didn't belong in the court. So I'm walking up the stairs. I'm kind of dejected, you know. Uh, This is the end of my basketball career, I guess. And uh, it was uh, it was Christmas time, and there was a, a group of carolers there, and it was a it was a male chorus. They were singing in, in four parts, and they had it just sounded great, and it looked like a, a re- retired group of men who had formed this chorus, and they were singing carols, uh, a cappella, and it was just awesome. And Lauren Lauren was still in her workout class, and and I just sat there and just listened to them for a little bit, and I. Don't, you know, I couldn't help myself. They, they went on to uh, another song, and I just started singing along. Just, you know, I mean, I'm there, and I know the song. And so I started singing along a little bit, and uh, they got done with that song, and one of the guys said, hey, do you sing? I said, well, you know, I, a little bit. I used to. Really? What part do you sing? Yeah, that first tenor. First tenor? You, you sing first? We've been looking for a first tenor. Oh, wow, that's cool. You want to sing the next song with us? I said, well, yeah, yeah, I think I've got time to. He's, We're going to sing, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. Do you know that song? Like, yeah, I've heard it a time or two. And so the leader blew on the pitch pipe, and I'm in my like basketball stuff, and they're in like their outfits. They all came to Carol. But I jump up there with them, and I start singing the first tenor part of Oh, Come All You Faithful, and we're getting towards the end of it, and Lauren comes out of her class, and she sees me up here with these carolers. She's just like, oh, gosh. I knew this was going to happen, you know. And we did two or three more. They said, I mean, you sound great. You know Silent Night? Yeah, I know Silent Night. We did all of them, man. It was great. So we got done. I said, hey, thanks for singing with us. Hope you enjoyed it. Look, we practice every Thursday at the Apple Glen Nursing Home. Man, we would love for you to be a part. We would love for you to be a part of, of, our, of our chorus. We've been looking for a first tenor just like you. I said, you know what? Thank you. Give me your number. I will definitely consider that. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I, ne- I didn't join the chorus. I didn't join the chorus. But what I want to tell you today, it felt so good to belong. It felt so good to belong. And church, there are people who've been excluded. They've been pushed to the margins. Our culture has intentionally and, and explicitly told them, You're not tall enough. You're not fast enough. You're not rich enough. And they've been pushed aside. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. They've been excluded. They're sitting under the fig tree. And they're waiting for the people of God to come along and say, come and see. 
They're waiting for somebody who lives with open arms to come by and say, would you come be a part of what God is doing here? Would you bring your hurts, bring your habits, bring your hangups, bring all that junk? Would you bring that and would you be a part of what God is doing here? See, friend, this is relational impact. We find those people, we live in those spaces, and through what we say, through what we do, through the decisions that we make, through the way we order our business, through the way we order our homes, through the way we live in our neighborhoods, we say to those, come and see what God is doing. Come be a part. And here's the good news of this mission that we're on. We believe in something called provenient grace. Did you know God is at work in a person's life long before you ever show up? Long before Philip ever went by the fig tree, God was already, work, already at work in Nathaniel's life. And that is true for every person in your relational network. God is already at work in their life, and God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And so, friends, what God needs from us is just to show up in that space and say, you belong. Come and see how God changed my life. Come be a part. As we leave today, I want you to think about three things. I want you to think about your relational impact in these three ways. I want to invite you to do these three things. Would you, number one, make room in your prayer life? Let's not think that this happens without prayer. Let's not think that this happens as some system or some program. Would you make room in your prayer life? Would you think of three people today who are sitting under the fig tree? Three people who feel excluded by the world. Three people who are far from God. Would you begin to pray for those people by name, daily? Pray for them. Make room in your prayer life. Number two, make room in your schedule Make room in your schedule. Think about the rhythm of your daily life. Think about the rhythms that we keep. What's it going to take for us to make room in our schedule to have these kinds of conversations? And as that happens, really lean into this third thing. Make room in your conversation. As you encounter these people, and as you make room in your schedule, and as you have these conversations, Something's going to come up about a crisis or something that's going on in their life or some, some heartache that they've experienced. And, and, and follower of Jesus, the most influential and the easiest thing you can do is in that moment say, can I pray for you? Man, I'm sorry about what's going on with your son. I'm sorry about what's going on with your daughter. I'm sorry you're hurting. I'm sorry they did that to you. Thank you for sharing that with me. And can I pray for you? And watch this. Just stop right there and just do it. Just pray. I've never had a person, when I've had the opportunity to do that, I've never had a person to say, you know what? No, I got it. I'm good. Every time they've given me the open door to pray for them and to lift them up. And so let's think about our lives. As, as we leave this place today, as we, as we encounter Nathaniel sitting under fig trees all in our world, Let's make room and let's invite them to be a part because God is doing something special here at our church and in our lives. And let's not hold that to ourselves. 
Let's live with open hands. Let's live with open arms. And let's be ready to welcome others into that.